I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, this is Nadine Dietz, host of CMO Moves. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thanks so much for stopping by today and to give you a quick overview on what to expect. CMO Moves is all about game-changing leaders, their incredible journeys, the moves that they've made, and most importantly, their personal stories of how they got to be the leaders of some of the world's most exciting brands. I hope you'll enjoy their stories as much as I do and take away a few tips and some inspiration for your day. Enjoy the show. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to a very special episode of CMO Moves. I am here with my pal, Julian Gamboa. Julian, how are you? Hello, everyone. It's a very interesting episode we have today. Okay, this is your first episode of CMO Moves, technically. <laughs> um, after uh, being behind the scenes alongside me, I'm so thrilled that Julian's here because we've been excited to turn the tables on Nadine, our, our fearless host, as she takes on a new adventure, which you'll hear all about on this episode, as well as she's taking on a new role with Adweek, too, as strategic advisor and co-chair of Adweek's new Sustainability Council. So today we've enlisted two guest hosts, Vineet Mera and Musa Tariq, two incredible CMOs who know Nadine so well and did a really great job putting her in the hot seat for once. And so we're excited for this new chapter. Julian, how are you feeling about all this? I am both excited and scared <laughs> because Nadine obviously is a, it's a huge leader in, in this and CMO moves like I I joined back in August 2018 when it was just like 20 episodes in and I've seen this podcast grow and like we've 
extended it to so much to duos to see him move live to like many brand week sessions you know and and now with nadine passing on the torch it's going to be interesting but very <laughs> excited nonetheless yeah she she obviously has all the confidence in the world in our team and it's just humbling that nadine has passed the torch on to us to continue this amazing show that she created and we all know she cares for this community with all her heart and it just demonstrates the type of leader and mentor she is, not just to us, but to many. And she's going to continue to be an advisor for Ad Week, which means we will rope her in anytime we want. <laughs> and she'll always be involved in this amazing community. We're excited to continue bringing you episodes and new CMOs to get to know. But it won't just be me hosting. The show has always been co-created with the community. That's how Nadine built it from the very beginning. So we'll continue that by inviting even more guest hosts to join me. So if you are interested, hit me up. And with that, please enjoy Nadine as the guest of CMO Moves for the very first time. And we'll see you back here soon. For now, enjoy the episode with the patron saint of marketing, Nadine Dietz. everyone. It's uh, great to be together on this very unique and special edition of uh, CMO Moves because we're turning the table today. I've got my good friend Musa on. Say hi, Musa. Hi, everyone. Very excited to be here. Big day. Big day. And you're going to find out more in a second. We've got Nadine on. Hey, Nadine. Hi. And uh, we're going to turn the tables. Moose and I are going to turn the tables today and get to know Nadine a little bit in the context of some really big news for Nadine. And, you know, I'll be honest, a sort of a bittersweet moment for I'm sure Musa, myself, and so many of us in the uh, CMO Moose community in that Nadine has made the decision to move on to her next chapter. And uh, Nadine, I thought we'd just turn it over to you to start and hear a little bit about your plans. What are you up to? What are you doing? I'm sure our whole community wants to know. So please share. Wow. Well, thank you, Vineet. This is so unusual being on this <laughs> side of the table. And uh, thank you both for being here. Uh, this is is a big day. This is my last episode of CMO Moves. And I could not be more proud and honored to pass the torch to my wing woman, my partner in crime, Heidi Palermo, who I have just had such an incredible journey with. She's, she is my, my, my soulmate in the work environment, but also as a friend. And uh, I know she's going to do a fantastic job. She already has uh, flipping burgers with Fernando down at a Burger King for her first episode of CMO Moves <laughs> and uh, co-hosting with me and just having the time of our lives is we just explore lots of new venues uh, together. So I'm, I'm going to miss being here on CMO Moves. I'm going to miss her, but I'm never going to be far from her for sure not. Uh, but yeah, it's time. It's, it's time for me to do a few more things in life. And I am going to stay on with Adweek as a strategic advisor. I'm also going to co-chair the new sustainability council with Mark Pritchard, but I have a number of things that I'm looking at in particular. Um, there's a company I've been advising for the last few years who it's now or never, and I'm going with now. So we're kind of still in stealth mode. I can't say too much about it, but if anybody caught the Super Bowl halftime show with the weekend in the AR Pepsi experience, that was them. 
Oh, what a tease. Um, Nadine, uh, for the last couple of years, you have spent an, um, an insane amount of time uh, lifting us all up in the industry. Uh, you've done over 100 CMO moves. I think I've listened to nearly all of them. Uh, you've given us an opportunity to get to know everyone. And the, the thing that I realize is that you know us all so well right? Like, I feel like I can call you up any time of the day, ask you a question, you have an answer. Or you're like, oh, you should speak to this person or this person. Or did you know this person went to school here and like, you should speak to them because they studied this and therefore they might have experience in that. Like, you know us so well. And I've been fortunate enough to get to know you very well over the last couple of years, but I realized that the community hasn't. And so, as Vineet said, we're going to turn the tables. Um, I'm expecting tears, prepare tissues for those of you who are listening in at home. But I wanted to start way back because, you know, whenever I ask people to tell them about themselves, I hate it when they start with I graduated with because those 20 or 19 years prior are so important. So let's start there. Let's 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 go way back. Right. Like, where were you born? Oh, boy. What were your parents like? <laughs> what kind of life did you live? Tell us about those first 20 years. Oh, wow. Okay. So now we're the poor listeners, you're really in for it now. Um, whew, okay. Well, I'll, I will say that I've had a little bit of a whirlwind life. I don't think anybody would be surprised if I said that. Um, you know, I grew up in a household that was really eclectic. My father was a cowboy from Denver, Colorado. I mean, he literally was in the rodeo until he was four. <laughs> Air Force because <laughs> um, he went out drinking a little too much and his shiny, you know, cowboy duds kept picking up all the girls and he got in a little bit of trouble. Um, so he decided to join the Air Force and uh, lo and behold, it turns out he was a genius. He did everything he could. He became an aeronautical engineer, an aerospace engineer. He just became this like incredible, like a beautiful mind. Just who knew that untapped potential? But when he was in the Air Force, driving down the little streets of France in the tiny town of Lens in the northeast of France, he saw my mother walking with her sister. She was only 15 years old at the time. He was like all of 19. And uh, he saw her and he just knew he had to marry her. And she was walking to her job at a wig factory. She made wigs. Um, And he had this little sunbeam he had imported from the US and he was driving down the street. He would drive every day. She would never pay any attention to him. And he would just sing to her from his little convertible sunbeam until one day her sister insisted that she meet my dad. So the rest is history there from them, but they moved a lot. And my father was a consultant. So I literally was born in the US and I was born in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And I was there for six months before we went to Washington, D.C. and then went over to Europe. Uh, Long story short, we moved 20 times before I was 16 years old. I was never in the same school for more than one year, except uh, in London. When I went to school in London, I was three. And when I was six, we moved to Dayton, Ohio. Total culture shock. Um, (laughs) But, uh, you know, in London, what's cool, and you probably appreciate this, Musa, is in London, you actually start school when you're three. It's, It's no games. Like, you're in school. And uh, when I came to the States at six, I did a learning score to figure out where I should be. And they, they graded me to be in second grade, even though I was supposed to be in kindergarten because we'd already learned to read. We already learned math. 
And so they compromised and they put me in first grade. So I was always a year behind, a year younger, I should say a year ahead. And um, yeah, but, you know, I learned to make friends fast and I learned to move fast. And I went back and forth to Europe quite a bit, lived in many different countries. And by the time I was 16, I landed in private school in Chicago, which was really weird, copied from public school in Montclair, New Jersey. Again, culture shock, you know, totally different things. And um, yeah, it's where my career actually began. It was really kind of funny how that started there. So what kind of kid were you at school? Like there's the stereotypes, what kind of kid were you? I was bad. I was a bad uh-huh. kid. Yeah, okay. I, I broke every rule. I, I was never one to be told what to do. I didn't, you know, I couldn't even get through college quickly because I always had to like try to reinvent to try to you know, beat the system. I was, I was a bad kid, but I was actually pretty good. I got pretty good grades um, and, you know, I had my fair share of craziness. So I was a crazy kid. And can, can we talk about your parents a bit? Yeah, yeah. What, what did they instill in, in you growing up? What did your dad, your dad instill in you with his American cowboy roots and then, and then your mother from her small town in France roots bring to you? So my dad was a lone wolf and he, uh, he never had any parents growing up. It's, it's a long story, but that's why he, you know, he was delivering milk when he was nine years old and newspapers. And he joined the rodeo to make some money you know, he was always a hard, hard worker and he didn't have any support structure around him. So he was a lone wolf. Um, but, you know, with me, he really took it upon himself to kind of gear me up for life. It was his mission to make me independent and to give me all the tools and knowledge that he had in a really strange way. Um, like when I was 12, he had me photocopying and filing and all the stuff he hated to do. And then when I was 16 in that private school, I was, I was sitting in uh, history class. I'll never forget it. And I was taking an exam and the Dean came into the class. She said, Oh my God, it's an, it's an emergency. It's an emergency. And I was like, Oh God, what happened? Your father called. He's in Dallas. He needs you to fly to Dallas. I'm like, I'm in Chicago. I'm 16. I'm taking an exam. Like what's going on. And he said, it's an emergency. You need to go right now. And I said, okay. So I arrive and two partners, cause he was a, senior partner at a consulting firm arrived to pick me up at the airport and they're like oh my god your dad is so upset with us he wants to do this presentation tomorrow and he said there's no one that can understand what he wants other than you and we <laughs> have to get it done by 7 a.m tomorrow and we need your help and I was like what so we proceeded to go to a conference room my dad wasn't there And they were, this is when like those consulting presentations were labeled section A, section B, A1, A2, right? So I'm I'm working all the way through the night and we're like 1 a.m. in the morning, still working on this. And uh, in walks this woman named Nadine, believe it or not, not Nadine, but Nadine. And she walked in and she had her section G and she threw it at me. And she said, here you go, girl, get my section done. And I was like, Oh, alrighty. This is going to be even more fun this evening. Um, I was like, I'm on section B, but I'll get to your G as soon as I can. And uh, she did not like that. My father called and she answered the phone and she said, well, I don't know, John, where you got this woman, but she will not do what I told her to do. 
And he's like, yeah, put my daughter on the phone. She's like, well, she is just as sweet as can be. (laughs) She is so lovely. John, where did you, your daughter is amazing. And I was like, yeah, this is business. This is business. So 7 a.m. The presentation was done. I flew home, but that's, that's my life. And, um, I continue to do things with my dad. I became an intern all the way through college. I, I actually worked with him to create the very first VCA model for Quaker Oats, where I actually sat in a cot in the Coopers and Library office in Chicago and spent my summer there double stacking two quads to run all the macros we had to write because there was not enough power in a single computer system at that point to run all the formulas. And we actually produced the VCA model for Quaker Oats. That was probably one of my proudest moments. I was like 19 years old. Um, but that's, it just kept going on from there. I kept doing all kinds of crazy things with my dad. When you look back at it and you look back at all those experiences and stories you shared, what is sort of the one or two things you think you learned from your dad that, uh, kind of carried you past that 19 year old building that VCA model? What do you think that, that nugget, that story, that sort of learning that you brought forward with you the rest of your life from there? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, I think, you know, I, I learned good and, and bad from my dad, just to be, you know, really honest, because unfortunately, he was a lone wolf. And if anything, I noticed he didn't have really strong relationships. Hmm. And he did. When he moved to Portugal later in life, I was so proud of him. He he had really dear, dear friends, but he'd never taken the time to get to know people. And for me, that was something I knew I didn't want to do. Um, but on the flip side, you know, his work ethic, his constant curiosity, never taking the status quo as an answer, always looking for a better way because he had to find a better way. It was his mind in, um, he, he pushed me to have that same kind of curiosity, which I think has led me into trouble, (laughs) but it's also kept me stimulated. It's kept me passionate. It's kept me engaged. And I feel good about discovering new things. I've, I'm totally my father's daughter. I'm an entrepreneur at heart. Yeah. Well, it sounds like, um, you know, all of that has come to life throughout your career. So I think what a lot of people may not know about you is that although you've created a community of marketers, you are very, very much a accomplished marketer, entrepreneur, and just had an amazing career in your own right. So tell us a little bit about that. I'm sure a lot of folks actually don't know the Nadine, who is a very accomplished marketer that many of us can also look up to and learn from in our own career. So tell us a little bit about that as well. Oh, wow. Well, A, you're too kind. Um, I appreciate you saying that I was accomplished. I just um, kind of wung it. I didn't, do, is wung it a word? I just make up stuff all the it time. It is now. We're okay. winging wow. this whole thing. Okay. So that is also, oh, <laughs> now we're going to the episode. <laughs> uh, well, very cool. I, I wung it. I wung it. I, um, well, again, uh, my dad called me up and he said, Nadine, I really don't like any of this administration bullshit. I really want to go be a consultant in Europe. Can you start a company and just let me go do what I want to do? I was like, I got to go to like my senior year of college here. And, you know, and I, I don't know what you're talking about. He's like, yeah, you know what we're talking about. We're going to be doing all kinds of VCA and ECR stuff. I'm like, oh, are we? Okay. And I don't know, like a brave fool, I guess I decided, yeah, Hey, this is cool. Something to tell my friends. I own a business. Um, and so I did, I launched an escort and I all of a sudden realized we needed to hire people to do all this work he was committing to. So I ran a business, um, at 21 years old. And then 
I had five or six employees internationally. We signed stringer contracts with Coopers and Lyburn, which gave uh, exclusive rights to us and the team. And then once I graduated my senior year, I moved to the Netherlands and created the ECR Center of Excellence with my father, with Philippe de la Chambre, who was a senior partner of Coopers and Lyburn. And we spent the next three or four years uh, really diving deep into ECR best practices and developing them which was kind of cool because ECR in the States, for those people who don't know it is efficient consumer response, was a supply chain driven model here in the US. And my father had built that with P&G and Walmart. And then he took it to Europe and we did the demand management side of the equation, which is how I came into the consumer insights part of the world, right? How do you take a push model and turn it into a pull model? And they can't just be from fancy strategic planning it actually has to start in supply chain and the enabling technologies. And then that creates a push phenomenon. So we had so many wild adventures, including the first global ECR conference in Italy. And I just remember Unilever was our client. We serviced them across all their countries. I was hosting workshops for CEOs and the entire teams when I was 22 years old. And at one point I woke up, I'm like, do I even know what the hell I'm talking about here? This is crazy. (laughs) But as a consultant, your skill is not to always have the answers. It's how to lead people to the right answers. And I really enjoyed that. You know, I got to write the ECR best practices scorecard in French and translate it. It got translated across a lot of different languages. We created all the whole workshops. And that's where I really learned the art of not looking at something myopically, looking at something, how it fits in the broader ecosystem. And then I really, at some point, to be honest, I mean, I was 26 years old. I was six cities a week, I was back and forth to Europe every two weeks. I didn't have a life. And I just said, I got to hang it up, pops. I can't, you know, I I need to, I want to go back to Chicago. I want to be a young lady. I want to have friends. I want to party. I want to do all those kinds of fun things. And he's like, okay, go. And uh, yeah, so I joined IRI and I became a consumer centricity consultant for clients working with panel data. Back in the day, that's when we only had access to like 55,000 households. That was all the data we had. And we had to make decisions on a hundred (laughs) people. And I had a lot of fun there. And then I decided to go to the manufacturing side. So I worked with Del Monte Foods. I ran their consumer and shopper insights business with all the retailers. Um, I joined Abbott, worked in Bentonville for the Walmart team. And then continued my path to EYC, where I serve as Safeway during the loyalty program. And at one point, I became global head of marketing for a UK consultancy and head of business development for North America. And we sold loyalty programs. And this was actually a company founded by Trish Ferguson, who was one of the first six on the Dunhumby team. And it was for fashion and consumer goods. Uh, our one and only client in the States was Saks Fifth Avenue, but we were damn proud about that. We had lots of clients across Europe and South Africa. Um, and my job was to expand us in the U.S. And that's when I started working with a lot of CMOs in the U.S. And created the first CMO solution guide to omni-channel personalization. And then that's when I fell in love with working with CMOs and doing best practices. That was my shift. So Nadine, bef- before you go on to the kind of that next chapter of your, your career in terms of building communities around the CMO community, you spent a good 10 years of your career in consumer insights. Almost and, 20. And it's yeah. funny, as, as Vineet starts his new job, I've just started my new job with, we're speaking a lot about like the, the need to really understand your customer. And it's kind of like the pendulum swinging back again, right? Like it was, it was 
hey, when you were old CPG companies, everyone needed to know everything about the customer. And then the last couple of probably 10, 20 years with technology, it's hold on a second, we know best, so we all lie in the vision. And now the pendulum swinging back again. Can, can, you, can you, I mean, it would be remiss not to ask someone like you with so much experience in the consumer insight space, like how, how has it changed in the last 10 years? If you, I mean, of, of course, technology has sped things up, right? There's no need to bring 10 people into a room and hide behind glass walls anymore. Mm-hmm. But, but why, why do you think consumer insights were so important and then became not so important and now are really important again? I mean, it's a, it's a fantastic question. I, I think Consumer Insights actually has been important all along. I once wrote an article, um, it was almost 10 years ago. Like if I hear the words customer experience or omni-channel one more time, I think I'm going to poke my eye out. And yet we're still using those same terms, right? Because because it's so hard to do. I think what's happened is the acceleration and growth of how many different Consumer Insights you can actually grab right now is overwhelming people. And the hardest part is how you bring it in and not just, first of all, you have to bring it in, you have to clean it, you have to scrub it, you have to make sure it's you know appropriate and it stays current, which is a huge task in and of itself. But secondly, you have to actually know what questions to ask of the data, understand what insight you're going to get. And, you know, I remember at one stop in my career, I worked for a software company and I was like, I don't know anything about software. They're like, we have hundreds of engineers. We just need you to be a domain expert. And just even building the platform, like the design, the user interface with the data being pumped through it, like what users would see to make good decisions was a big task. But in six months, we built the first ever shopper platform for Target. And it was pretty amazing. And I remember spending my days in the war room with the data scientists and the engineers. And you really have to be in the middle of those rooms because it's not what a pretty slide says. It's what data got you to that slide and why is that slide important? And, and I think that's overwhelming people because, and now, especially with all the data privacy changes, going to the first party data um, providers, like the neat when you were at Walgreens, massive first party data, Walmart with Walmart connect. Um, but looking at models like trade desk and the independent programmatic buying houses and not just the wall guards. I mean, I think it's just overwhelming for people if they haven't had the experience or the opportunity to really go sit in different seats along the way before marketing. Super, super interesting. Uh, And, and, and you're right. Like it it probably hasn't gone away that the good marketeers have been consistent with it. Um, But I'm not a good marketer. So I'm now catching up with everyone. Um, Nadine, you then, you, you, you then go on to what I'd like to consider like this next chapter of your life in terms of becoming probably the, the CMO whisperer, the community builder. But I'm curious to know before you move forward, was this something that was inherent in who you were as a person? Were you the type of person that, you know, connected people, brought people together or, or did this happen? How did, how did this happen? Was this an accident or was it just something inherent in who you were? No, it was a total accident. Total accident. I mean, I, as part of my remit for North American business development, I had created a partnership with CMO club to do this report. Um, and it was just like a light bulb. I, I had so much fun doing it because it wasn't me trying to teach or tell anything. It was me listening and taking the words of the people who were witnessing and experiencing it in their roles 
trying to tell a story around that, it was immediate where I just said, I really love this. This is great because I get to work with them and tell their story. Um, and and the, the report was wonderful. And, and that's when the CEO of the CMO club asked me to come on, be the CMO of the CMO club, which is so weird. It's like CMO squared. It's like a weird, weird title. Um, but that's what I did. I focused on building out more thought leadership. And then in, when it was time to leave there, I became a strategic advisor for VentureBeat, helping them to understand what the CMO needed to understand tech and embrace tech, which is really tough and it was even more tough at that time. And I got involved in a project with the ANA. Uh, I wrote their CMO talent challenge playbook where I interviewed 30 great CMOs, wrote the, the book. And um, yeah, it was at that moment I said, okay, you know, there was all this n- negative news everywhere about the trouble with CMOs and how CMOs were just, you know, couldn't do math and all these horrible things. And I'm like, I know so many great CMOs and it's the people who are criticizing that know nothing about marketing and how hard it is to be a CMO. And I, I got pissed and I was like, I, I know so many wonderful CMOs and it's time for the world to really understand what a CMO does. And that's when I came up with CMO moves and I called some folks and I said, if I do this, you want to be on it? They're like, sure. I'm like, Oh my God, now I have to figure out what a podcast is. So like, <laughs> I've never even heard one in my life, but that it was just an idea and it worked. So what, what is it? Why do you think, um, I mean, it, it not only did it work, I mean, it went from idea to scale and developing roots in the community so quickly. What do you think in hindsight is the, the insight going back to kind of your background or the, that nugget that. Uh, allowed for it to scale so quickly and to get such strong followerships as quickly. What do you think it is that you hit on in the community that, that really made it work and, and happen so fast? Wow. You know, I'll tell you, Vineet, I don't, I, you know, I, I, when I said it worked, I think it worked in the long run in the beginning. I don't know that it was working real well, to be honest. Um, you know, what I had set out to do was to tell other folks stories and to showcase them in the right way. And, with my early guests, you know, we all shared a passion for inspiring the next level of CMOs and not just here industry, here's what it is, but let's help the next generation. And I found out rather quickly that, yeah, there were a lot of them tuning in, but some of the topics we were hitting on were really hard for them to incorporate like culture, leadership, DNA, how to tackle, you know, tough topics and, and, so it was good for them to see, but they needed something a little bit closer in. So I actually had to change the narrative a little bit. And that's when I decided to launch Innovators. And I expanded CMO Moves to be Marketer Moves because I wanted to provide tools for lots of folks in different areas. And Musa, you were part of that early um, Innovators crew where we were like, what do, what do we need to do in Innovators? And it was like leaning a little bit more on the tangibles of the day but connected back. And then pretty soon we launched Women Trailblazers. We launched Gen CEOs and we had this whole array of things that were working together. And I quickly realized that, it, you know, it, I didn't have scale at the time. Like I wasn't like a big megaphone. I just had what I had and people either knew it or they didn't. But when I combined all of that together and created these tips pieces, like here's how you manage your career. Here's how you think about culture from 12 different perspectives. It was at that point, that was the tipping point where it's like, people just need 
help. Yes, they'll listen to a podcast. It's very inspirational, but they need information and they need education. And that became the burning drive. And and that's what we've been doing ever since, even after Adweek acquired us. Nadine, now now taking a different beat, I'd love to talk about 2020. Mm. Uh, and and, and there's, I think there's two parts to 2020 that I'd love to talk about. Um, there's the professional side of 2020 and then your personal side of 2020. Um, professionally, COVID hit, the world went into crisis. And while each one of us were looking inwards at our, our organizations and you know, our jobs and our careers and our families and our roofs overhead. We had no idea. You, you were looking outwards. Um, you, you, I remember you set up a call with Indra Nui, like with a bunch of CMOs. You just were just like, all right, how can I help? I remember you just sending notes to everyone on how you can help. What did, I mean, 2020 was an incredible year uh, in terms of the output that you bought to the community and bringing us all together. I have made more friends in 2020, weirdly enough, in this industry than I have in, in the many years prior. And, and that is thanks to you. So, and I know that many people would echo this. So I'm, I'm gonna actually speak on behalf of many to say thank you for that. But, but privately, and you know I'm gonna go there, um, you, you had cancer mm-hmm. and, and you went through a, a lot of the, uh, a treatment last year. And not many people know that. Um, and you were doing that while while bringing people together. And then at the same time, you also lost your mother in France. Can you, can you, I mean, 2020 was a, a tough year for many of us. It was maybe the toughest year for you. How did you get through that, Nadine? Like, what, what were the learnings that you took away and, and how did you grow as an individual? Hmm. And I know you hate talking about yourself, so... I appreciate this is hard, um, but I think it's, I think it's important to share because I think there's a lot people can learn from you. Um, well, okay. So thanks. Thanks for asking. And, um, and I have to say thanks so much for your support too, because you were huge in helping me get through that. Um, you know, when my mom came to visit me, it was in Colorado Two Christmases ago, she was dancing in my kitchen. She was having a good old time, barely 71 years old, and just dancing away. That was just who she was. Short, four foot 11, spunky, feisty French woman, always sassy. And then three months later, we got the call. Um, She was diagnosed out of nowhere with stage four ovarian cancer. I was like, how the hell did this happen? Well, it happened for a lot of reasons, but that is the hardest um, cancer to diagnose. And when it is diagnosed, it's pretty much at a stage that's severe. And for a year and a half, I remember her complaining that she had aches and pains on something. And I kept saying, go to the doctor, go to the doctor, go to the doctor. And she kept going to the doctor, but they didn't actually look hard enough. And I'm still pissed. Um, I feel really pissed because I could have saved her life, but I've been told by lots of doctors, it's really hard to diagnose. So I can't hold a grudge for the rest of my life. Um, but I spent the next year from March forward, going back and forth to France. I think I did 12 trips 
over 2019 and into 2020. And then um, because of her situation, I had to get tested for the the BRCA2 gene. And I, I tested negative, thankfully. But in that process, they also discovered breast cancer. So just because you don't have the gene doesn't mean you won't get cancer. And just because you do have the gene doesn't mean you will get cancer. But the, the gene is actually pretty predictive. And that particular gene, if I remember correctly, carries breast, skin, prostate, and ovarian cancer. My grandfather actually died of prostate cancer. I did not know that until all this happened. Um, And I lost my cousin to ovarian cancer. The dots now line up, but there was very little education where my mom lived and very little support. And it, it, it was enough to get me to take a strong look. And so I've been open about it and saying that people just need to get tested. I mean, even young women and young men need to get tested. It can happen at any time at any age. And it's just better to know and be in front of it. Um, so yeah, so the problem we had on top of all that is COVID hit, right? So I had been going back and forth and then all of a sudden we couldn't go back and forth. And so I had done the surgery earlier, but I needed to get radiation. I was at the end of my window and I said, I just, I'll go now. Cause I don't know how long this thing will go. And just hopefully my mom will be okay. And you have to do like 19 consecutive treatments of radiation, uh, every day of every work day. And like it was within the first week, it was Easter Sunday. Um, I called her and I could just tell she was in the worst shape of ever. So we got an ambulance to go get her. And uh, two days later, they said, that's it. You know, we have to put her in hospice care. And I, and I was like, wait, I, I'm in the middle. You, you can't, you know, don't, whatever you do, don't tell her, but they told her. And um, so I was trying to get there. I had to go to the French consulate. I had to get, you know, and then their printer wasn't working. So they couldn't give me a laissez-passer. And it was like, so it was like so many things coming at me that um, two days later she passed and I missed it. Uh, but I was still determined to go. So I got in my car my husband was driving me to LA because I was in San Francisco and that was the only direct flight. And it was already, I had already missed her, but I was going to go. And then we were halfway to the airport and uh, I had to like double up on all my radiation treatments and get them, you know, and I had to pause a few of them and Oh my God, it was such a disaster. And then our GPS went from arrival at noon to like arrival at five. And I'm like, what the hell just happened? And it, they shot highway five down of all times of the year, they shut the highway going to LA to the airport down. We were three hours in and my husband just pulled over and he's like, how many signs do you need? And I was like, oh, I was the first time in my life I ever felt defeated, like totally defeated. And I said, okay, I guess I'm not going to France. So I had to do the funeral by phone. I had to do everything by phone, but it was, it was horrific. But I'll tell you, you know, for me, that just lit a fire in me hotter that I wasn't going to just sit around. I mean, I needed to do something or I was going to lose my freaking mind. And that's when I just like, okay, you know, everybody's suffering. Everyone's having a hard time. Everybody connection is what we've lost. And I just said, we have the means, we have platforms, we have abilities, we have calls. I, you know, we could help. And, and it's just the gear I went into. Um, but, you know, Antonio told me, Antonio Lucio, he said, you know, Nadine, you probably are witnessing logotherapy. And I said, what the heck is logotherapy? And he said, it was Viktor Frankl during the Holocaust 
had a thesis about how different folks dealt with trauma and crisis. And one of them is to spend time helping others. And that's logotherapy. And I was like, that's probably what I have because that's how I operate. And so it was really intriguing, but not to say like I'm some martyr or anything, but it's just, I don't, to your point, Musa, I don't like thinking about myself. I don't like worrying about myself. I want to be productive. And if I can't do what I want to do, I go insane. So I have to find new things to do. So anyways, that might sound a little psychotic, but that's just who I am. Well, I tell you, call it uh, logotherapy, call it, uh, you know, just desire to help people. As Musa started, you, you, you certainly did that. And as, you know, everyone listens to the context in which you were able to accomplish helping so many others um, while you were enduring your own challenges is, uh, it's, it's quite remarkable. And I think this is probably a, a good moment just to move to probably the last sort of part of our conversation here, which is around, you know, after everything you've built, so many people you've helped, so many careers you've guided, tips you've put out there, what's your hope for the community and CMO moves and all of this you've built as you move on to your next chapter? What are your hopes, your dreams? Um, what do you hope lives on and how can we as a community support that? Um, of course, you'll You'll always stay close to it, I'm sure. Um, but but tell us a little bit about that. You know, Vanine, I think for me, if I know that it's helped anybody, that's all that matters. And I've gotten so much positive feedback from everybody. I feel really good about this moment. I, Of course, I'm nervous and I don't want to leave and I love everybody so much. But what would make me feel great is if people continue to use everything we've built as resources and continue to work with each other. And, and yes, I will still be here. I'm not going away. I'm still going to become, you know, a strategic advisor for Adweek. I'm still going to be involved in a few things here and there. You know, my, my hope, my dream is that this was all for something and not for not. Um, and, you know, for me, I get my reward from feeling like I've done something good. So hopefully this has been good for folks. Um, Nadine, uh, thank, I think we'll we'll wrap up, and I, I just got to say two things. Is one is just so we we end that story on on your cancer. Everything is clear, right? That's uh, you've had your treatment. Good news that everything is clear. Yes, and I had an MRI a couple of months ago, and everything is clear for now, so it's good. Amazing, thank you. As you mm-hmm. know, I I lost my mother to ovarian cancer as well, so I'm taking my bracket test, and I encourage everyone to do the same. Please. Um, uh, Thank you for everything. Um, I obviously have to end with one question. Mm-hmm. It is the question of CMO moves that everyone gets asked whether they like it or not. It is the end question. And, and weird enough, I don't know the answer to this question. So I am curious. If you weren't doing what you are doing today, what would you be doing? Aha. Well, if money and talent were of no object and I had all of it in the world and I didn't have to worry about anything, I would go back to my childhood dream. Um, you know, I was the first to volunteer in any humane society that would let me scoop poop. Um, I spent, you know, all my time working with animals. I, I worked at a groomers. I worked at a pet shop. I worked at, uh, yeah, I scooped a lot of poop. Um, and I don't mind scooping poop. Uh, but if, 
if I could, I would make it a much bigger, more impactful difference on the world for humane treatment of animals. And, uh, you know, I used to watch this program called animal cops and I was told I'm never allowed to watch that again. Cause like, I, I just literally go crazy. Like it, it bothers my mind that people can treat animals with such cruelty. I, and I know there's no stopping it because it just exists. And I just would love to find a way to terminate that. Well, if there's one thing, you know, we know for sure is if that's in your mind one way or another, you're going to find a way to make a difference in that as well. You know, I can also share with you, Musa and I actually got a chance to meet each other this last year as well. And I want to thank you for bringing that friendship together as well as you have so many others. Nadine, best of luck um, in your next chapter. We obviously look very much forward to keeping the community intact and working together with you in just new ways. But it was great spending time with you today. And on behalf of everyone, we wish you only the very best. We're so happy that you've got your health with you as well and can't wait to see all the amazing things you do. Thank you both so much. I really appreciate you. Thank you, Musa. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but thank you. That's it. I was just going to say thank you as well. Echoing beneath. You guys are amazing. Thank you for doing this with me. My last episode, I'm so proud to have it with you. So thank you so much. Wonderful. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, I would love your help in sharing CMO Moves with one of your friends or colleagues who you think might enjoy it too. And if you have time, I would really love your review or ratings on Apple or SoundCloud. So thanks again and have a great day. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just the thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.